Do we know what we're talking about? <laughs> Season three. Hi, I'm John Stevens. This is Matt Russell. This is and this is Pod Have Mercy. Well, welcome to Pod Have Mercy today. Um, one is the loneliest number. I'm alone. John Stevens is uh, traveling this week, and so, um, but I think you're in for a treat uh, today. We have uh, a friend of mine, and probably. Uh, one of the wisest uh, psychologists that I know, Robert Hilliker Jr., he um, runs the Ethos Behavioral Health and the Lovett Center and also the Prairie, which is a which is a um, addiction recovery center in Texas. And I've known Robert since he's been about 14 years old. He came through Mercy Street um, as a, an adolescent in recovery, and he and I have just maintained a connection. Over the last couple of years, we've been doing some groups together with uh, men around the city, and we'll talk about that just a bit, but um, excited for um, this conversation. So let's start, I, I think if we start with the, you know, kind of, hey, where are we? Yeah. With mental health. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that'd be a great, uh, great place to begin. Yeah. And and then let's, we can work. It into actually that. segues really nicely into, into yeah. men's issues. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because, um, because of some of the cultural stereotypes uh, associated with with yeah. emotional processing yeah. in men, and so yeah. how stifled they are, like you know that 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 at times women in our culture have more permission, right, right, um, to be expressive or to have feelings, particularly related to sadness. Like it's okay for women to be sad, um, but it's only okay for men to be angry. Be angry, right, right. right. So we don't want right. women to be in touch with their anger. We don't want men <laughs> to be in touch with their sadness. Um, because it kind of bu- it bucks certain cultural norms. Right. So I think that may be the segue. Let's do it. Okay. So like, yeah. so uh, when when we look at like this post pandemic world, um, really interesting. Um, um, recently we went to um, Waco, Texas, with the youth, and like yeah. it was around like 250 folks that were together. And I just realized yeah. this is the first time this has happened you know, oh, for yeah. in a year and a half. And as I've talked yeah. to a lot of the students there, it was interesting to me just the what they carried through the pandemic, you know, this this mm-hmm. real in touch with words like anxiety or real mm-hmm. in touch with words like depression, right? That, that that was an experience that every single one of the kids that I talked to had. And I just realized coming out of out of the pandemic, uh, as a culture, we're carrying some things. We're freighted with some things, right? That mm-hmm. um, that um, in my experience, don't just go away. You know the old adage in um, the program that whatever you bury is buried alive. You know, mm. and that those things that we have um, we've walked through as a as families as individuals don't just get better because you get beyond. You, you have more distance. Um, you know, right. So, right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's really, it's really interesting. And of course I've been hearing a lot of this too, as I sit with people, um, I'll, I'll back up and say, you know, when, when you said that about Waco and the idea of, you know, being with 250 people and it just felt like, wow, yeah, like, wow, we're doing this. We're yeah, like, yeah, this we're is happening. It felt like we had crossed a, right. a really important threshold. Um, and, I had that experience this last weekend. I'm probably around the same time you were in Waco um, for the celebration of life for a dear friend of mine that passed away um, pretty unexpectedly. And um, she was a colleague and a friend. um, And we had this beautiful, beautiful celebration of life for her um, that 
culminated in a second line procession. It was so cool. Uh, led by this, you know, 10 piece band and we sang and we danced and she was a dance oh. movement therapist. And we, we sang and danced. It was beautiful. It was like, I, I, I went home and told my wife when I die, I hope, I hope it looks like that. That yeah. was, and, um, we, mm. yeah, it was, John Price and I were like the last uh, guys cause John sang a song and, and performed some music yeah. there. John's a, a, a local union analyst and a dear friend um, to me and you know him as well. Yeah. And um, so we were like the last two people there breaking down sound equipment. I had helped set up the Zoom for people that were out of town. And the long and the short of it is, you know, we're sitting there and the security guard is talking to another administrator that that was for this facility. It was at the um, garden pavilion there at okay. uh, Herman Park. Beautiful yeah. setting, amazing yeah. place. They've done such a wonderful job. Yeah, the city's yeah. put a lot into that. Yeah. Um, and the security guard says, girl, when I die, I hope it looks like that. <laughs> and, and the other one was like, yep, I hope so too. And, and she goes, she must've been really special. And mm. I was like, she was, she was mm. really special. But my experience there, right, right. Was, it was like this, I'm looking around standing room only, no mm. mass, everybody's vaccinated, yeah. yeah, you know, and we're like, wow, we're doing this. We're all, this it is felt happening. like this demarcation. Yeah. 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 And so while we're not quote unquote post pandemic, I think that's, you know, there's still yeah. opportunities for surges. There's still ways sure. in which we, we still have to really push, you know, um, for continued vaccination and, you mm -hmm. know, in the country to, you know, really protect the most vulnerable among us. But, but there is this other way in which um, those of us who've, who've been, you know, vaccinated for a while now are, are starting to return to some of these normal things. And I think, um, one, there's a tremendous sense of relief and joy and um, gratitude and yes. appreciation. I certainly felt all of that. Um, the number of people I talked to there really felt that. Yeah. But there is this kind of like, um, we, we, we've been through something and we're still trying to process and account for what that was. Yeah. Um, Life is different on the other side of this. We think about, you know, nobody's blowing out birthday cake candles, vaccination or not. Like nobody's <laughs> like we're we're like thinking about things differently. Yeah. You know, um, there's a way in which, the, the, you know, it's not hard to imagine that masks are like, you know, we're not just all throwing them away. Like, like, right. Like, you know, there's yeah. just like. I've we're still in a liminal me, space, know? right? We're still under that threshold. We don't know what's coming, but we also exactly. know what's behind us, right? Right. Yeah. Which, which is, which is a constant experience as human beings of being mm. in that limit, that liminality, that yeah. liminal space of the in between, and yeah. you know, it's something that Bill Curley talks about often. Yeah. It's something you yeah. you talk about, you yeah. and I talk about often. Yeah. Um, standing kind of in the hallway of something, yeah, and um. And I think that creates uncertainty and uncertainty uh, uh, for a lot of people stimulates even more anxiety. Yeah. Right. And um, so post pandemic, you know, that idea of post pandemic yeah. mental health one, one is um, huge research on suicidal ideation through the roof. People actually yeah. contemplating killing themselves, ending their lives, things like that. Depression, rates of depression and anxiety, all time high. Yeah. Um, Largely because as human beings, we're social animals. We're hardwired and built for meaningful connection. And when we become increasingly isolated, we tend to get really sick. Yeah. Um, you know, if you want to understand the greatest single predictor 
for health over the course of human experience, like the, the entire course of your human life, the greatest predictor for health and wellness or illness, it, you know, it, it's going to be associated with uh, what are called adverse childhood experiences, right. death, divorce, uh, uh, loss yeah. of some kind of abuse, trauma. neglect, these types yeah. of things, trauma, various forms of trauma. Um, but but the, the, the supportive factor that differentiates, like either cuts your risk factor in half or doubles it, we, we've talked about this, is relationships. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's having strong social ties or poverty of relationships. That's Bruce Perry's terminology, poverty of relationships, that is going to be kind of make or break for illness. And I'm not talking just mental health conditions, substance use disorders, um, depression, anxiety, things like that. But I'm talking about health conditions, medical health conditions, you are far more likely to have heart disease or diabetes if you have a poverty of of strong social relationships. Mm. So we're coming out of the other side of this, probably culturally, not just culturally, globally, um, human beings are probably in a position where we're really vulnerable um, to illness um, in various forms. Right. As we're increasingly disconnected through this experience. So right. it, I, I think one of the main and concerted efforts we need to make is is to reconnect, yeah. um, to reconnect with ourselves, to reconnect with whatever uh, God of your understanding, to reconnect with um, with with people, um, you know, is such a protective factor yeah. um, for health and wellness. I think that's that's um, really true that I uh, one of the things I have. Um, been saying and and continue just to kind of marinate in this thought, which is that um, that connection is the antidote to dot dot dot. You know, it feels like the connection and deep relationships is the antidote to anxiety, to depression, to alcohol use disorder, to all those things at least, right? Yeah. The, those whatever those things are, that that's the that's the antidote. And I think right. you're right. I think that the you know. Um, I think the church is uniquely positioned, if it will, to to be a system of belonging yep. that curates, cultivates, and really designs ways of connecting people that are disconnected. You know, yeah. Um, you know how all faith communities do. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We've been Sorry. so good at it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I I think it's like. <laughs> I think it's the intention of all faith communities sure. to do that. Sure. And they have a responsibility and an opportunity to be yeah. exactly that. hundred yeah. percent. And we're best, um, we're best when we're doing that. When we just get like obsessed, 100%. obsessed with connection, right? Yeah. Um, that's yeah. when the church is always leaning into its, uh, its, its, its God appointed mission. Right when we yeah. get super judgmental about who's in and who's out and what the bar is and who's missed the ball, yeah. you know that's that's a different game altogether. Yeah, right? or, or, or when the group becomes overly homogenous, yeah, which is yeah. something you've really fought against yeah. in 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 religious institutions. Yeah. Uh, really, the entire time I've known you is to mm-hmm. basically put together people who normally wouldn't yeah. mix and create <laughs> improbable friendships. That's your, you know, I, and, I call and, that, and I think that's I call that huh? the redemptive freak show. Right, because I, you know, <laughs> like, I love it. like folks that yeah. should never belong together that end up going. Wait a minute, right? There's yeah. something. Then, then something happens. You're my brother. You're my sister, and That's I see right. myself in you. And I yeah. see, um, yeah. When when we see ourselves reflected in the other, I mean, 
it, uh, Brene said this a really long time ago in a keynote talk that I was at, and, and you've heard me say it before, um, but it's always stuck with me. Um, she's, it was just, it was almost kind of like a throwaway, she kind of said it in passing, and I was like, I've held on to it because it was such a, it was a great little gem, and she said, um, uh, it's hard to hate people up close. Yeah. It's really hard to hate yeah. people up close. Yeah. Like, like hating someone, hating the other, their yeah. otherness is only otherness because of its distance and proximity to you. Yeah. If, yeah. if you pull them in tight, you know, if, if you, if you make them a part of your life, you will see that you are far more similar than you mm. are different. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's I'm, regardless of socioeconomic status, race, you know, anything. Is uh, so as we as we kind of look at like mental social health kind of moving out of the pandemic, it seems like um, um, one of the um, one of the factors or one of the characteristics that I've become more interested in over the pandemic is this whole idea of curiosity, right? Yeah. Curiosity about the other, curiosity about myself. Why did you know? Why did I just react to my wife in this way, right? Um, mm -hmm. Like being super curious about what's happening. What's happening um, between us? What's happening globally? What's happening uh, um, internally? Right? Is it seems to be a pathway that might open up some areas of discovery, some connections, some ways forward. Could you could you talk about that? Um, maybe yeah. a little. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's a. Um, I mean, you have identified really the the cognitive aspect okay. of what I would call the mentalizing stance. Okay. And it's really two parts of it, right? So, so the mentalizing stance is, and the concept of mentalization, you know, strange sounding word, pretty simple. Yeah. It's holding your heart in mind, in my heart in mind. Oh, okay. When I'm doing that, I'm mentalizing, right? And that, so, so the, that's a good thing. It's a really good thing. Is that like, yeah. it's okay? Is <laughs> yeah, that's a really good thing. You psychologists so, are so, slippery sometimes. I gotta. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good thing, I promise. Okay. Um, it, 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 the world would be a better place if we had more of it, right? Okay. So, so this comes from the research of, of uh, uh, Peter Fonagy, uh, okay. who heads the Anna Freud Center in London, and, and um, uh, one of my mentors, John Allen, who's a, just a lovely, amazing human being. Um, uh, uh, Anthony Bateman, Efren Bleiberg. Okay. Uh, uh, there's a number of folks who have worked on, on mentalization-based treatment. But basically, the, the, the simple kind of construct is this, the, the mentalizing stance, to have a mentalizing stance in our lives means that in relationship to others, we're curious and we're empathic. Hmm. So if I'm curious about what's in your mind, I'm mentalizing. The yes. second I stop being curious about what's in your mind, I have stopped mentalizing. I am no longer holding your mind in my mind. I'm not attempting to understand. Oh. I'm not perspective taking, yeah. right? Because I have a sense of a degree of certainty. This is where you and I talk a lot about um, the way that religious fundamentalism has deteriorated human connection. Right. Because it's like, no, 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 we're certain about this and you need to believe this. And if you don't believe this, then you just don't have enough yeah. faith. Yeah. So there's no way to disprove a negative. You just, and, and, and if you're having problems with, with my half-baked philosophy, then it's, um, then it's your then problem. It's yeah. Then it's your problem, not mine. Um, which is, which is like, the antithesis of mentalizing like okay. it is a non-mentalizing stance right um to to not have curiosity but instead live with certainty and so 
whereas you know we talked about this uh, you and i talked about this a lot with uh james hollis's work where he you know that he says spiritual spiritual maturation demands mystery right spiritual maturation demands mystery I, yeah. That needs to be a tattoo somewhere on me. That, I, I mean, that's just. I don't have any tattoos. No, but I don't either. If but I have one, I should probably put that as a looking bumper sticker on my forehead. So I have to write it backwards. So I look in the mirror. Yeah, spiritual spiritual maturation demands mystery. So the further I'm willing to step into uncertainty right. and not knowing, um, the greater likelihood I have to actually be present to experience mm. you. That's great. Right. So so, so really, then using the, the other as that mystery. Is that mm -hmm. right? So then seeing the other as that mystery that I'm open to, yeah. right? Right. Huh. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. So curiosity because, and empathy are the, yeah. the two components so, so of that? Curiosity is the kind of cognitive quality of it. The affective quality, the, the heart-centered part of it is empathy. That's beautiful. Right? Yep. That's I, I, where I, you know, and, and um, you know, Obviously, the work of most people are familiar with the work of Brene Brown on on empathy is is been such a an important and powerful contribution to our field because um, she's defined it so simply and in the words of people, right? And through, through their lived experience, so she says, you know, "What is empathy?" Um, as opposed to sympathy, sympathy is I feel for you. Empathy is I feel with you, mm. right? So empathy requires that I touch that place in me, and I convey that understanding to you, oh. right? Okay. It's it's a much more vulnerable stance. So sympathy does not require that of me. If you're struggling, I can go, hey, I'm over here, but boy, it looks really bad where yeah. you are. Yeah. Sucks yeah. to be you. The view from up here really, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you look terrible. Yeah. Which <laughs> some, which can sometimes be like the the religious expression oh. often to the world is it sucks to be you, but we're over here. Right, where yeah, empathy seems yeah. to be much more rooted in solidarity, moving towards the other, leaving right. border crossing in a sense, going solidarity, yeah. inclusivity. Uh, right, yeah, yeah. right. These, yeah. you know, we talk about the, you know, one of the principal kind of ideas that I think really was was brought forth in the life of Jesus is this is this construct of of radical inclusivity, yeah. radical inclusivity, yeah. right, and solidarity. Yeah, um, so. We perspective take, we stay out of judgment, we recognize the emotion in ourselves mm -hmm. that's being, you know, that's felt by the other, and then we convey our understanding of that. And and all of that requires a certain kind of mindfulness and presence of mind. Mm -hmm. So when we're doing that, we're empathizing. So we want to be curious and we want to be empathic. Yes. Um, that's and, and I think faith communities, recovery communities, whatever community you're part of. Yeah. If if those ideas are central to how connection works, yeah, you will have a really adaptive, healthy community. And when you fail to do that, you will watch it fold in on itself. Yeah, with judgment and uh, divisiveness yeah. and uh, yeah. blame. And, yeah, and blame all, all the things that I'm really good at. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Yeah, that's really, that's good. That seems like not just, I mean, and, and you know, I've, again, have talked about this. This seems like the, the, the psychological, emotional, social aspect of that is deeply spiritual. So what, what the way I would frame that as well is that these aren't just good uh, mental health kind of constructs. They really are about a spiritual contour of our life. These are spiritual practices. So, so mentalization, the way you're talking about it, is something that I can practice. 
Uh, yes. Folks are not just born with or without it. It's something no. that I can say, oh, I can get better at this. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. No, that's the good thing. Okay. Um, that's the good thing is that it's it, it, a learned behavior, right? It's a learned behavior. It's something, it is something we cultivate a practice of, and it's something we, we're, no person, myself included, in the course of a single day is constantly in a state of mentalization. Yeah. We are fluctuating back and forth and back yeah. and forth. And really, the only thing that really tethers us back to it is, is our ability to recognize when we're not on it. Yeah. And yeah. that's not, and we don't have to, reflect, you know, in a morbid way on that, like, oh, we failed, we're not doing this well or something. And, and instead, quite the opposite. Every time you're kind of knocked off your emotional footing, when you regain it, it's just an opportunity to come back into your practice. Yeah. So, you know, that's coming great. back to your practice that's over great. and over and over again. Mm. And that's all, I mean, yeah. I mean, look no further than my own, you know, ask my wife. Like it's a yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm like this is what I do for a living. Ask me if I mentalize at home all the time. You right, know, right, ask, right. ask my kids what they think about. You know, yeah, my, yeah. <laughs> your my, ability to my, hold them in your yeah, uh, right. Oh god, yeah. Sometimes I'm like, go to sleep, <laughs> you crazy little heathens. You know, like. But other times I'm like, you know, um, I, I, you know, it, I, I'm able to kind of hold them in mind. Wow, right. They're, they're really tapped out. They've gone through the ringer in this. They haven't seen their friends in a year. They've been, mm. you know, they've been homeschooled during this whole period. You know? So when I can touch that part in me, right, then I can show up in a really good That's way wonderful. for them. Yeah. But I, I don't, I don't purport to do that, you know, all the time by any means. But it's, so it's, it's a practice a, for sure. It, it's a gift to know that that's something we can grow in, that we can recognize, that Always. we can uh, understand and allow those kind of practices to get deeper. Well, one of the things I wanted to explore with you or talk with you about a, a bit is, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, um, um, there was some, I've had a, kind of an influx of men that came to me kind of in midlife transition. And you and yes. I talked about that. We started doing some work actually together on this yeah. with, uh, with groups of men. And we I've been some beautiful, amazing groups together. That was, a, yeah. that, that was the most fun I've had probably in the last two years. Oh, yeah. And I think in some yeah. ways it's the deepest work I've done since I've been a, um, since I've been a pastor in some ways, yeah. right? Like having having a group of men that we will go the yeah. distance with for a number of months every week for an hour and a half to talk about some really difficult, but also beautiful things, right? right. And so Jung talks about this kind of midlife transition um, that that is is um, where either we kind of break into a new reality of our own lives or holding our emotional life, our spiritual life, or social life in a in kind of a new new skin, or we double down and we constrict and we kind of stay in that competitive you know, competition or comparison mode, right? Mm -hmm. And the work that you do and that I've, I've watched you do with, 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 with in these kind of men's groups has been... Uh, I would say the, the work you do also, yeah, but yeah, well, go the ahead. Work, the work we've done together in that has been... Yes, thank you. Yeah. ...helpful in negotiating that space that one normalizes the midlife transition. Because what, oh, one yeah. of the things I've found is that men that step into that feel like they're, they're losing their cheese. Like they don't understand why it's not working anymore, right? Yeah, they don't understand why yeah. the success um, or um, the failure has profoundly affected them so deeply, you know. Yeah. Um, and so I yeah. wonder if you could just talk about some of the the men's work and why that's important. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you know, and thanks for for you know speaking of this and and 
you know, kind of transitioning into this as well, because I think um, I think men are going to feel increasingly lost on the other side of the pandemic as well. I think these things are connected. Okay. Um, what we've been talking about yeah. and what we're shifting to are connected in the sense that um, that if 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 men didn't have a platform and 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 kind of relational structures to be able to lean in and 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 share, be expressive, and be emotionally vulnerable before this then a year of separation is not necessarily going to have made that better. It's not helpful. Right? So, so there is, you know, if anything, um, it, it may be substantially worse increased by, um, by uh, increased substance use. We've seen huge upticks in, in alcohol consumption yes. and other illicit drug use. Um, the, the, you know, disconnection kind of begets more of the same. It's just, you know, discon- mm-hmm. you go from disconnection to more disconnection and not really knowing how to find a kind of reasonable, um, kind of meaningful tether to relationship. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's one of my favorite kind of biblical jokes, right? Is that um, the, 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 one of the funniest things about, or one of the most unbelievable things about the story of Jesus is not that, is, is not that he rose from the dead. It's that he had 12 close friends in his mid thirties, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Um, that's like, the miracle. That's the miracle. <laughs> and right? only one like, of them betrayed him. <laughs> right. And only one of them betrayed him. Um, it, you know, that that's kind of miraculous. Like it's a really right? tough thing to do uh, to kind of age into adulthood and, 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 right. and, um, and cultivate deep and meaningful and abiding friendships. Um, but that is the work that men right now need to do. Mm. Um, they need to, uh, you know, in, in my perception and the work that I've seen really work for men right. is when they say, I'm tired of trying to muscle my way through this and go at it alone. Yeah. I'm not doing it like this anymore. Right. I, I'm turning myself over to this process and I'm going to allow myself to be emotionally vulnerable, maybe for the first time. Yeah. And, um, and they start to kind of smash a lot of the cultural myths and ideas um, that they've had about what it means to be um, what it means to be a man. Um, and I think women go through that, that, that a similar process of sure. change. I'm usually brought about um by you know really clear demarcations into parenthood i think women um have done a a much better job of letting parenthood shape them letting motherhood change them often Mm, yeah um yeah and and part of that is because you go you like go the distance you know emotionally spiritually physically in having a baby and you kind of kind of cross over to this other realm and you know and come out the other side with a baby right and and um and men are watching that we're witness to that but but it doesn't it it, it, i've watched plenty of men go through that process of becoming fathers and not really allow it to change them or change their hearts at all Mm. right um and and i think it's much harder for a mother to go through that and and not have not be fundamentally transformed by the experience at least what i've seen and working with people um so you know, to your to your question about you know the 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 work um, and some of those challenges, yeah, the things that once worked uh, no longer work. I mean, that is it's one of the it's one of those important kind of demarcations that means we've entered middle adulthood um, is when all the illusions that you had in early adulthood um, begin to break down or are fundamentally shattered. Yes, and that's a tough place. I mean, that's a that's a really uncomfortable place. You know. And, and it's unfortunately been kind of trivialized as, you know, it's, it's called the midlife crisis. And, and what that means is that you're, 
you know, 40, 45, 50, and you, you know, have an extramarital affair with your secretary and you buy an unreasonably priced sports car. And, you know, and you may do those things. This may be part of a person's <laughs> journey to, you know, try and figure themselves out. Um, but often it, 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 it's not like that. It's, it's not the kind of popular psychology version of that. It's actually more of a quiet death. Yes. Um, where they just feel like, what am I doing? And what does this all mean? And do I even care? Do I care anymore? And, and I feel sense, like I should like my life or myself, right. but I don't really. Right. You know? And that sense of being locked in and not being able to have any choices. You know, it, yeah. it was interesting talking to a number of men, even this last month, all that are highly successful that feel a a bit trapped by their own jobs and saying, and are are starting to count down. How long do I have to stay at what, you know, and that deep sense of like, they're, they're highly successful, but very trapped and, and are wondering, is this as good as it gets? Is this, this is my life, I guess. Right. Right. And and not knowing who to say that to, right. This is why I feel like the, the work that you've done, um, that we've done with men has been so important to do with other men. You know, number one, having a group of men that will look at each other and go, oh, yeah, yeah, you're not alone in that because there can right, be a deep right. sense of isolation. Right, right. Yeah. And, and it's it's a deeply um, I mean, it's 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 very hard for people to I mean, if you're let's say let's just give a poor example, like, you know, you're you're a small to mid sized business owner. You've grown something really successful. You've achieved a great deal. Um, you're in the top one percent of income earners. Right. And you're supposed to take that to somebody and go, I don't, but I just, yeah. I don't <laughs> really, I'm really unhappy. And people are like, Oh really? Oh, you're yeah. unhappy with the, you know, like, and, and there's like this kind of dismissive quality to it. Like, like get it together, man. You know, um, you got a good life, you know, be happy. Um, but, but I think that the part is that just because they've they've exercised success in a particular area doesn't mean that the the other parts of human development have have come along at the That's same right. rate, right? right? So spiritually, they're they're kind of empty. Emotionally, they don't. You know, I mean, gosh, we've talked to you know we talked to guys where th- their ability to identify affect was like they were angry only yeah, about the right. other. <laughs> they're angry, you know? Um, and they're like, yeah, that's pretty much the sum total of what I feel in any day. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, no, there's a whole range of human emotion and experience that you can have and it's available to you, right. but you've got to, you know, um, tap into that. And and then there's all the cultural misperceptions about vulnerability and, and men's ability, you know, and kind of powering through and toughening up and, you know, uh, the, all the, I mean, I could go on and on with those kind of like cultural myths um, about how men are supposed to be in, in our culture, right? Um, which, which is a great recipe for how to be miserable in midlife. Um, mm. um, but you know, one of the things that we're really tasked with is beginning to, you know, is that w- when confronted with all this in midlife, um, we're invited into a process of change, which. Um, which is invariably going to require letting go of some old ideas um, and really questioning what got us here. Um, And more often than not, what, what people find when they question that is that um, as Hollis says, they're, they're, they're um, little people doing big people things. 
they are um, they're living with the same messages, expectations, and beliefs that were infused in early childhood. Right. Um, and they're going through the kind of adult iteration of that, but they haven't actually come into themselves. Hmm. They haven't come to appreciate that their calling is larger than that, that yeah. their mission is is wider than that. Yeah. There, there seems to be the importance of ritual that's involved in that. Um, and so when yes. I think about, like, even as we started this, the, the two stories, like at Waco, there's this ritual of, like, worship with these students and these things that we were doing that's like, oh, the, you know, your... Um, your, the ritual of the end of life celebration of your friend. Yep. There, there's these things that um, that that we create as rituals within our culture that says um, we're going to help ferry you through this, negotiate these waters, right? And I think that mm-hmm. a lot of time in terms of midlife transition with men, we don't have those kinds of um, rituals that are set up. And so I think that some of the the work that we've done, some of the things that I see that James Hollis continues mm-hmm. to inspire, um, even even richer roar, those kind, you know, that they're, oh, yeah. the church should be a place yeah. that cultivates these kinds of rituals for men and women to negotiate these transitions that are endemic to all of us, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and how do we not get stuck in that? How do we normalize that? How do we create then, you know, communities around that that help uh, to to uh, to ferry us through those uh, developmental stages. Yeah, and at times, what has happened with the church and with various churches is that then they get trapped in the symbol. They actually lose the intention behind the ritual, so yeah. they go through the motion of the ritual process right. without any of the without yeah. any of the spiritual intentionality yeah. that's required yeah. to really get something from Absolutely. that. So people are like, and that's why people question. They have these crises of faith in midlife too, where they go like. Look, I'm I'm coming to the same church I went to my entire life. You know, I kneel, I stand up, I yeah. I do the thing, I go through yeah. the rituals, I take the you know yeah. the communion, I do what's all. Happening? But yeah. like, but yeah. but they're what's lost to them is actually the the spiritual and emotional intentionality in yeah. that, and the process of allowing that to transform them. Because to let a spiritual ritual transform you, you have to give over to it. You really have to. Um, you have to allow for it. Right. Yeah. Otherwise you're just otherwise the symbol and the ritual becomes a trap into itself. Yeah. Or or you think you know? that it's going to be magic. If I say these words, kind right. of like Harry Potter spells, then it'll release some yeah. kind of emotional bath cool. for me. You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 And and again, you know, I mean, the the twelve step recovery literature talks about this all the time. The idea yeah. of like um uh that, that people often want the kind of their spiritual awakening, right? Their so-called kind of spiritual experience to be that of a burning bush, but it's it's more often, as they say, the garden variety spiritual experience. Right. It's like it's 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 usually something where we we suddenly become attentive to something we've overlooked yes. and we experience it in a new way, and we and and we begin to allow it to transform us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's right. So. Paula D'Arcy says that God often comes to us um, um, uh, like within our own skin, like um, or, yeah. or not like like disguised as ourself. I think is the phrase yeah. that she uses, and I yeah. think that that's true. So that within these things, we go back and we we realize the things that we haven't noticed become super important. You know, I think mm-hmm. that's why the mentalization or the mental mindset is that 
Is that the right way of saying it? Yeah, mentalization. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That ability to both kind of carry other people inside of me with empathy, curiosity, empathy is so, and to do that for myself. Right. Yes. I mean, I think that's where where um, like in Paul in Romans, where where Paul says, why do I do the things I don't want to do? I always heard that in growing up as something super judgmental. Right. And it right. wasn't until my own kind of process of 12 step kind of recovery and just the bottom of my life dropping out that I understood that as curiosity and empathy. Right. Of, mm -hmm. of him really saying, why do I do these things? You know, mm -hmm. which is a great question. Mm -hmm. Let's go figure it out. Why do I do this? You know? Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, and I think that's and, the beginning. And, and the other word I would throw in there too is self-compassion. That's yeah. what I hear you speaking yes. to as well. Is that, yeah. you know, compassion meaning kind of, you know, driving from the idea of passion or passio and suffering mm. and calm meaning with. with. And so, you know, self-compassion is our ability to suffer with ourselves, our ability mm. to kind of see our suffering as an opportunity for growth and for um, change, mm. right? I um, love it. Anything, anything worth having is hard fought for, right? And that includes spiritual and emotional transformation. It's not, it's not a, it's not one of those things that just comes lightly. It, it, right. It's, you know, I mean, the, the Bible's chuck full that every every spiritual tradition really is full of trial and tribulation. That's right. right. Yeah. And uh, and so. Can we can we begin to imagine, right? Uh, coming back full circle to our kind of idea of not only men's work, but um, for us, uh, on uh, you know going through a global pandemic, can we see the trial and tribulation as an opportunity for transformational growth? Mm -hmm. Is there some way in which we can try and take the suffering that we've gone through and all the challenges that we have faced and the losses that we have incurred? And try to make sense of that experience uh, to make ourselves and the world around us a better place. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And how do we do that together, that connection, that deep sense of community? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Robert, I can't thank you enough for um, for stepping into this today and just uh, Always your wisdom. A your wisdom and your uh, your ability to articulate kind of these unseen places that are so present in us is always just a, a joy to be around. So thanks for uh, thanks for well, being here today. I, I'm yeah. I'm always honored. Anytime I get to share space with you, I'm I'm truly honored and um, just love you and appreciate you and appreciate what what you're doing and what John is doing and yeah. um, you know the work of Chapelwood and the podcasts and everything. Yeah. I think. Yeah. You know, in iconoclasm, I can go on and on and on about the things that you guys have done. But um, I really, I really love it, and I, you know, um, I'm thankful that that I have the, the, the connections that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Like I share that connection with you. Yeah, right. No. We have a, a shared and profound love for one another. Yeah. And um, if 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 everything looked like it was going kind of pear shaped. Like you're on the short list. Oh yeah, no, right, call. right. Yeah, you're on my crunch <laughs> list. When it's a crunch, yeah. I'm calling you. And I've right, done, we've, done, right. we've done that for each other, you know. And that's the joy yeah. of knowing that, you know. That's yeah. the joy of knowing that short list, you know. And yeah. I thank God. So for thank you. you. I I always enjoy uh, um, being on and having the time with you. So yeah. thanks. Great. Well, John is not here this week, but he'll be back uh, next week. He was missed this week. I know he would have loved this discussion. But uh, um, my name is Matt Russell. And I'm Robert Hilliker. And this is Pod Have Mercy.